0: Digital ID and CBDC, those are tools. It's about behavior modification, you know, manipulating human behavior by incentivizing or coercing you into doing certain things. They can coerce you with your CBDC. They can coerce you with anything attached to your digital ID, which is your what you've said online, you know, your political views, your religious views. All these things are tools in a, in that just moving towards a system of social credit The collectivism versus individualism, you go look at that from a spiritual point of view or as like a more material point of view. There really is no difference between one another, just different representations, different avatars of one's own self. If we were gonna eliminate boundaries, borders and join up in the world, it would be a mass movement from the people. It would be a collective consciousness kind of thing coming from the ground up saying, this is what we want. Not someone coming down saying, this is what you need.
1: Welcome to the Staying Free Podcast. In this episode, I spoke with Tim Hinchcliffe. Tim is the editor of The Sociable, where he covers tech and society with perspectives on public and private policies proposed by governments, unelected globalists, think tanks, big tech companies, defense departments, and intelligence agencies. So when I was at the Greater Reset this year in January, I was doing a recording with Havore Morich from Geopolitics and Empire for his TNT radio show. And while we were on air, he mentioned that Tim Hinchcliffe was in the chat saying that he was really enjoying the conversation. And in the break, Havori said that I should really check out the Sociable and the work that Tim's doing and bring him on the same free podcast in the future. So he's kind of been on the back of my mind for a while and I finally got around to asking him on the show. And initially for this episode, I'd plan on having a conversation about everything going on with the World Economic Forum and CBDCs and the Great Reset. But when I was emailing Tim back and forth before having the conversation, Tim told me about a few of his other interests such as UFOs, ancient civilizations and psychedelics. So I left this one quite open and we actually ended up just letting it flow and covering a whole host of different topics. So I'm not even sure what to name this episode at the moment because it is just so broad, but I really enjoyed the conversation and I hope that you guys enjoy it as well. If you do enjoy the episode, please make sure you give it a like and a share on social media. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please give it a five-star rating in whichever podcast app you're using. If you're new here, then welcome. Make sure you subscribe for future episodes. If you want to join the Telegram group and give some feedback and have some conversation about the episodes, then the link for that is t.me slash staying Link is also in the description. If you get value from this episode and any of my other episodes, please consider giving me a donation. You can do that in a bunch of ways from just a one-off donation on Buy Me A Coffee. There's also the option there for monthly subscriptions with three membership tiers starting at just £1 a month. And that gets you a few additional perks as well. I also accept Bitcoin tips. That's both on-chain and by the Lightning Network. And finally, you can listen to the show on Fountain app as well. And that will allow you to stream stats while you listen, which will help support the show too. So as always, tips are hugely appreciated and will go directly towards the cost of running a show. All right, on to the episode. All right, Tim, welcome to the podcast. It's really good to meet. I've heard I've heard a lot about you and uh, I've come across your, your work before, so interested to get into a bunch of stuff about the sociable and everything that you're, you're getting up to. So uh, do you want to just give my um, listening audience a bit of an intro, just as to yourself?
0: Um, sure. Yeah. My name's Tim Hinschliff. I'm the editor of the sociable and, uh, we just, uh, dissect, uh, the intersection of technology and, um, uh, society and what, uh, governments and, uh, big tech companies and globalists, uh, try to do with, uh, policies, uh, that affect society, basically. Um, so yeah, I cover the World Economic Forum, the UN, DARPA, IARPA, um, congressional hearings, uh, just to see how technology affects
1: people. Were you doing that kind of stuff uh, before COVID or is this kind of like a recent endeavor
0: for you? Well, I've been with The Sociable since 2015. And so I used to cover a lot of startups and business stuff, but I started gearing more towards um, policy when I started to notice um, that that's how I could reach a wider audience and how that affects people. So, But when COVID came around, yeah, it accelerated everything. And then when I saw you know, the the great reset launching. And then I saw, uh, you know, whispers and murmurs of community passports and digital ID. I started paying a lot more attention and uh, started connecting more dots. So it definitely accelerated uh, since COVID.
1: Okay. So was the sociable like kind of, I guess, more into like technology and stuff than before that time. And it's kind of pivoted a bit more towards these, these, you know, covering stuff about kind of digital tyranny and stuff like that.
0: Correct. Well, originally, so we acquired it from, uh, it, it was originally launched in, in Ireland. Um, and, and the previous owners were, um, what they won, uh, one of the best Irish tech blogs back in 2012 or whatever. Um, so they used to just cover, uh, technology from an Irish perspective. So definitely pivoted when I took over. And actually when I started, um, you know, I came from a background in, uh, other type of journalism. So I worked, uh, I was an intern in West Africa and Ghana, um, and I uh, wrote for a national newspaper, print newspaper there. Um, also here in Colombia, um, before I went on the Sociable, I was a writer and an editor for Columbia Reports, which covers all the news in Colombia. Um, so before that, uh, that's my background into it. So, uh, but when I started with the sociable, it was a lot of business stuff, but then I also was very much into mythology. So and in artificial intelligence. So I was writing articles about like the Mayan popol vu creation stories and how those, uh, some parallels with, uh, the creation of artificial intelligence and, uh, things like that. But yeah, it, it took a while to find, um, the strive, uh, cause I was all over the place for, for a couple of years But I didn't know how to approach it. It was. New to me, but uh, yeah, but now it's basically policy.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, like with everything that's happened over the past like few years, I guess like there's just so much to talk about, right? Like it's just the, the world has gone crazy, and you know, there's just almost endless things to be talking about in this in this respect. So, I guess like from a from a wide perspective, then because you know when it comes to all of this stuff, this you know CBDCs and what the WEF and uh, stuff is is doing, I was Keeping up with that quite a lot, to be honest, like, I guess, you know, maybe a year ago, two years ago, I was kind of really into it and I was, I was kind of reading a lot about it. And more recently I've kind of just strayed from that, you know, kind of just not focused on it partly deliberately and partly just because I think that the conversation has maybe died down a little bit in that respect. But from someone who is obviously involved with that every single day and writing about it. Where are we up to now with all this stuff? What are we up to with the WEF? What are we up to with the, the CBDCs, all that stuff?
0: Yeah. So it does come in waves, kind of the news and, you know, what's, uh, what's hot right now, what's not. Um, it seems though, looking back and looking forward and looking now, um, the, the push is more for a digital ID, a control system, which, you know, we've heard a lot about. So. Before COVID, the big thing was climate change, climate refugees. Um, you know, we need to give people IDs for this kind of, those kind of things. Um, and then when COVID came along, they just mashed that on top of uh, the whole climate or the COVID control narrative. So you need digital IDs in the form of vaccine passports. And now that that's... Um, the COVID control narrative is pretty much collapsed. They're going back to, um, digital ID for, uh, climate again, but also CBDC because central bank digital currencies, they require, uh, everyone being pegged and linked to a digital identity. So there's, they, there's nothing that's going to be completely anonymous. Uh, everything's fully traceable. And the crazy thing with, uh, CBDC, well, there's many crazy things, um, is that it's the programmability. So, you know, they can program uh, how much you can spend, how much you can save. Uh, they can put expiry dates on it, um, pretty much total control and surveillance over your money. And that's linked to your digital ID. And your digital ID is linked to other things, including your health status. Um, and one of the other things they are trying to bring into that is, um, you know, uh, carbon footprint trackers. So it all ties back to climate once again. Um, and so basically, Money being connected to your digital ID, your digital ID being connected to your consumption habits, your um, travel habits. Uh, and there's many ways that you can be controlled through all these various mechanisms. So right now with CBDC, just on Monday, the uh, IMF managing director uh, was in Morocco and she was talking about having a, a complete uh, where they want. Uh, they're building a CBD, a global CBDC platform concept. So that what they want to do is link all these countries. Um uh, they say they can be, every country can have their own CBDC, but it must be interoperable into one global system. And that's just a more centralization and consolidation of control from what I see.
1: So with this, um, all of this this kind of digital identity stuff like you said you know that they tried to push this with covid that seemed to be the biggest push and now they've kind of fallen back to climate do you think from from your perspective do you think everything going on with covid and that whole push has now been dropped do you think they're not going to try this now from a kind of vaccination health health tyranny perspective they're going now for the climate tyranny
0: well it it's kind of bifurcating, but no, I, I think both are still going on simultaneously. Um, because right. the World Health Organization just did, uh, announced a couple of weeks ago that, that they're moving ahead with the global health certificate, uh, thing. So yeah, that, that's going on. But another angle, it's, it's every single angle that is, is geared towards this digital ID thing. So whatever crisis or perceived crisis, they're going to um, take advantage of that and uh, turn that into opportunity. In fact, I think, uh, was it from the, um, uh, the, the book, the great reset by Klaus Schwab and yeah. Gary Malare. Um, I've got a, a couple of quotes here. Um, so one of them was, so they were talking about, this has happened. They released this book in, I think it was June of 2020 or around that time. Um, and so one of the quotes fast. is,
1: they were very fast in writing that book.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Funny enough. some leaders and decision makers who were already at the forefront of the fight against climate change may want to take advantage of the shock inflicted by the pandemic to implement long lasting and wider environmental changes. They will in effect make good use of the pandemic by not letting the crisis go to waste. That's one of them. And another quote from the Great Reset book is if in the post pandemic era, which we're in now, uh, we decide to resume our lives just as before by driving the same cars, by flying to the same destinations, by eating the same things, by heating our house the same way and so on, the COVID-19 crisis will have gone to waste as far as climate policies are concerned. So it, it seems to me that almost they were gearing this book. They're already, it, it seems to me they're already preparing this book, the great reset or whatever. Um, and gearing it towards climate. But then COVID came along. They're just like, Oh no, let's do this. But. It's about climate, mm-hmm. but no, it's about COVID. <laughs> um, but even, I, I wrote back in uh, November of 2020, a timeline on the Great Reset. It was just a brief timeline. It, obviously, I think this Great Reset is just a repurposing of, of um, new world order things, uh, things that's been going on for many, many years. But uh, Klaus Schwab called for a reset of um, the economy back in 2014, before the World Economic Forum meeting then. and it's, They published... Every year, 2015, 2016, 2017, they were doing all these um, meetings and publications on resetting the global economy, resetting society, resetting this and that. So it's it's been going on for a long time. COVID just came along like, hey, now let's take advantage of that, exploit that.
1: Yeah, I mean, w- was it a matter of it exploiting it or was this, you know, did, did they see that the climate stuff? Because, you know, we have to remember they were trying to push the climate stuff before COVID that's that, you know, they were talking about carbon taxes and all of this other stuff and seem that they couldn't really quite get that off the ground. Like, do, is it your, is it your belief that COVID came around and it was like, you know, a convenient way to push the same thing? Or do you think that COVID came around because they wanted it to come around because they wanted to, to push this stuff?
0: Very good question. I, <laughs> I can't say anything with definitive, uh, proof or anything, but, uh, as we know that j- just before, uh, COVID came around in October of 2019 is when they held event 201, which was the pandemic simulation of a coronavirus and what they would do. And so that's kind of, the timing is very odd on that, but of course they've been simulating pandemics for, uh and doing those exercises for many, many years. Um, and so the, you know, the next one they're talking about is the cyber pandemic, which they've been preparing for, for a long time. So I don't know, is the question like, <laughs> they were just waiting for something like COVID to come along or if it was actually planned. Um, that one I'm staying away from. <laughs> uh,
1: okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. What I'm
0: focusing more on is just the outcomes, what they said before, what happened and what are the results? And it's just moving in the same direction. So that's that's what I'm going to say on that.
1: Okay. So you just mentioned the cyber pandemic there. And um, this is something that I haven't really followed that much. I mean, this whole concept of a cyber pandemic to me, you know, I mean, I'm a technology guy. Like I, I understand my technology and the idea of this cyber pandemic just seems really, really stupid to me. Like anyone who who kind of understands how technology works, I mean, the idea that, oh, everything's just going to get hacked. Well, it's like, well, you know, you'd, you'd have to break simultaneously multiple cryptographic uh, mechanisms in order to actually have this thing. I mean, basically the only thing that I can see if they that they're going to say, well, this is a cyber pandemic is they'll just say, oh, look, the money's disappeared from your bank account. Oh, no, it must be a cyber pandemic. I mean, but what it actually means is, well, there's someone there in some centralized position who has the ability to push a button, who's going to make this stuff happen. The the idea that this can be, you know, some kind of like global hack, it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, unless they have mathematics out there that we don't know about that can break all of these encryption um, systems, It just seems bizarre to me. So what's your thoughts around the the cyber pandemic idea?
0: Yeah, so when I first heard about it, I was like, oh, because I didn't know much about, uh, could this actually happen? So I was saying, just reporting on what everyone else, what the World Economic Forum was saying, what their exercise, um, you know, annual exercise, which has been suspended since last year, uh, Cyber Polygon. um, It was based in Moscow, so (laughs) it's understandable why they uh, suspended that uh, or postponed it indefinitely. Um, But no, As time went on, and I've written about this too, is that I've questioned, well, does this perceived cyber pandemic even have to happen or is it just the the threat of it? And so they're going to say, well, we need to prevent this and to avert this, we need to put in these control mechanisms. Maybe like a little hint, a little taste, like a little hit here, there's a cyber attack here, bring down this uh, critical infrastructure here and then say, oh, that's enough. Now we need to pass legislation. Now we need to regulate this, this and that and to avert that. And then once they do, it's like, hey, we averted that. And now you have less freedom, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, but as with all of these things, I guess the the commonality here is that they nothing actually needs to happen. Like you said, it can just be the fear of it. It can just be the threat of it. You know, with with COVID, like many people, most people believe that we went through, you know, the greatest um, pandemic probably since the 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 Spanish flu or something. I mean, but you only need to actually just look at the numbers. Just look at, you know, how many people actually. Die during this period, you know, you know, you need to compare that to kind of other pandemics or even just kind of bad flu years, et cetera. And you realize that there's absolutely nothing significant about it, but all you need is the media to kind of get people who don't know any better to, to just believe in this thing. And it looks like this, the cyber pandemic thing, that's the only way it can go because there is no, there is no, um, the idea doesn't really stand up when you actually look at technology, like how can this thing happen? The only thing that could actually happen that could even look like a, pan- a cyber pandemic is that a nation state puts in some kind of firewall which pre- prevents you from doing certain things, from you know maybe it prevents you from accessing you know certain um, bank accounts or, or whatever it is. But it will be done on a national level. I mean, the smoking gun would be really obvious. It's like, well, who's done it? Well, the state has done it. It's the only people who can do it. You know, n- some hacker in Russia or whatever, you know, some which is probably you know how they'll how they'll frame it cannot shut down your national internet without, you know, literally coming over here and having access to that. So yeah, I mean, the cyber pandemic thing, is just the latest psyop, right? Is there's, there's no yeah. substance behind it. It's just going to be fear. And,
0: and what I see is it's almost every other week it's, it's uh, whether CISA in, in the United States, or if it's uh, the FBI or if it's Interpol or something, it's, it's either. Yeah. Russia or China, you know, there's the hack is going to come from here. It's going to come from there. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the U S do it themselves i mean like uh, or as a psyop you know um of, uh hacking something so it could be anybody and it doesn't matter yeah or just the threat of it so yeah
1: yeah exactly and like you said at the end of this the way that they're going to do this they're going to say hey well you know there's going to be this cyber attack. So now you need to kind of get on this uh, digital system. You know, don't worry, we're going to protect the internet. But in order to make sure, we need to verify you're a real person. We need to kind of, you know, everyone who uses the internet needs to kind of like, before you even access your, you know, your um, kind of service provider or whatever, you've now got to prove this is your identity and then everything, everything can be tracked to you. There'll be no such thing as, you know, VPNs and things like that will be will be useless because you have directly said this is who i am there's no there's no kind of like routing around it they're going to try and get it so that every th- your identification is tracked from start to finish is that the way you see it going
0: yeah pretty much a passport to the internet which is a passport to everything digital it's passport to well many life situations plus with the uh coming metaverse or metaverses that's that's another thing that's what the wef put out a report saying that uh digital ID would be the nexus of an interoperable metaverse. So, and that's your, you know, your avatar or whatever. So making sure that you say who you say you are and whatever you do in the digital realm that can affect you in the physical realm. And uh, it's just another total mechanism of surveillance.
1: How do you think that's, that's going to come about? Like, you know, what do you think we're going to start seeing as as those first steps? Because, I have my theories as to as to how it will be framed and how it will be sold to us. But do you think it's going to be literally the government coming out and saying, you know, here, here it is, you're going to have a government ID, or, or where do you see that going?
0: I see a lot of um, well, slow rolling and um, implementing little step by step different restrictions. But no, I see more of a, what globalists always push is the public private uh, partnerships and collaborations. So. Wherever the government can't legally do something and overstep the lines, they just, uh, outsource it to a a private company and a private company can provide data to governments. And so them working hand in hand. Um, that's, that's how I see it rolling out. And, you know, to start off, it's going to be about convenience and, uh, safety, security, cybersecurity stuff. But then later on, it it just, I see it morphing into something of more control.
1: Yeah. You know, with, um, you were mentioning that, the idea with all of this stuff is that there's going to be, you know, everyone can have their own system in their country, but it has to be interoperable with some kind of global system. There has to be some kind of global interoperability. How does that, like, how does that tie into these conflicts like Russia and China and, you know, these supposed enemies? I mean, I'm I'm skeptical as to whether Russia and Putin really is an enemy or whether that, you know, that entire conflict is just all part of you know, these are essentially people who are, they're still on the same page when it comes to, you know, this global governance stuff. They just have their, um, maybe perhaps some disagreements within that. But like, I I guess, how are we going to get global interoperability when everyone has differing kind of demands? I mean, couldn't we just see essentially like fractions, you know, like some form of tyranny that maybe encompasses China and Russia and they have their own digital ID system. And then, you know, perhaps the West has a different one. Like, how do you see that going down?
0: But yeah, it's very possible. And, and that's also another thing that they've spoken about at the WF meetings. Um, and also that who else I was listening to or was it Interpol? But I can't remember, but, um, the, the whole idea of a splinter net, uh, or splinter nets that that's a, you know, a, yeah, a big thing. So yeah, it could be yeah, Europe has one, uh, Russia, Iran, China, or whatever, North Korea has one. And, um, but it's still the same, you know, it's, that's what the they talk about the globalists talk about moving into multipolar world like there's no one uh dominant one so yeah the fragments and, and well if you keep them fragmented you don't know what's going on on the with the other internet or whatever's going on in, in other parts of the country so i think that could definitely when you don't know you can't access that information like take um i guess you know north korea for example if you know no one knows what's happening outside their country then the stay locked in and in fear and, and control and are submissive. And I can see that, uh, happening in pockets, uh, yeah, across the world.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I guess before we move on to some, some lighter topic, one more thing I, I want to ask you about this is just like in general, what do you think is the, the thing of biggest concern right now? You know, we've kind of, we've kind of gone past, I think the, the COVID stuff. That was my, my biggest concern, honestly, you know, for the past few years has been the vax past stuff has been this segregation of society, which I, I, I mean, they didn't really achieve it, but I think they could have, I, I actually think that there's no reason they couldn't have gone a hundred percent on that. The sentiment and everything was so crazy. I really think that if they had have started saying, you know, we're going to start rounding people up who are unvaxxed, I think that most people would have just gone along with it. They could have, they could have, um, they could have actually pulled it off. In my opinion, I, I think that we demonstrated perfectly to them that we are ripe for that kind of thing that you know we're not going to stand up against it but obviously somehow we've we've kind of moved past that whether that's from pushing back or whether that's just from them getting cold feet or you know making mistakes whatever it is but now what's the what's the biggest concern now is it is it CBDCs? is is it is it digital id like what is it
0: those two combined yes and you're right about the compliance about uh, you know, with VAX passports and uh, throughout the past few years, I, I couldn't believe how compliant people were and, and just willing to hand over all freedom. And, you know, fear does a lot of things. Um, so digital ID and CBDC, yeah, those are big, those are tools. Um, but for the overall system, I just, I see it, and, and many other people have said this as well, social credit system. Uh, that's, that's where I see these things as being tools. It's about uh, behavior modification, you know, manipulating human behavior by incentivizing or coercing you into doing certain things. They can coerce you with your CBDC. They can coerce you with anything attached to your digital ID, which is your what you've said online, you know, your political views, your religious views, your um, your views on uh, social, um, uh, with, with culture things. Um, and then once again, uh, with the the whole Green movement and the carbon footprint stuff, you know, with, with climate change things. They can. There's so many different ways that uh, they can ding you and just say, this, you know, you, you ate too much of that, you consume too much of that, you said this wrong, you didn't get the latest injection. All of these things are through the, and they can cut off your money or control your money that way too. So all these things are tools, and that just moving towards a system of social credit. I don't know if you know, not exactly like China. China's pretty much the model, but each country could do it in their own way and just say whatever. Um, I don't know however each country wants to do it.
1: Yeah. And who's leading that at the moment? Like if you had a scoreboard of like the people who are, who are pushing that stuff the most, I mean, obviously like China would be up there, but are there any other countries that are really pushing this?
0: I, I've seen a couple in Europe. I mean, the European union in general seems to be going that way. Um, I'm not sure about the United States now or. But in terms of, you know, non-governmental, um, you know, you have the big bodies like, uh, well, the United Nations, of course, um, and then you got, uh, the companies, big companies like BlackRock and Vanguard, those, those ones, uh, those, yeah. So it's, 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 it's a merger of, uh, globalist ideas, you know, think tanks, um, companies, and then, uh, trying to get governments on board as well.
1: Have you heard about this uh I think it's called Worldcoin this thing. I think it's by Sam Alt- Sam Altman. Hmm. And it's some kind of like it's some kind of project where he wants to go around and like scan people's retinas and give you kind of like a unique like blockchain ID. It's it's all it all sounded very dystopian to me. I've not looked too much into
0: it. But I don't know if you have heard of it. Um no, I haven't looked into it, I'm afraid. <laughs> But that's a, one thing though is, is you know, people talk about uh, digital IDs and things like that. It's like, Oh, it's something on your smartphone, but no, that doesn't have to be at all. Like, you know, that you get stores, they can read your palm or you get an iris scan. So like, you don't, we wouldn't have to like have a, like your body becomes that, which is a whole nother topic that I've covered as well. The internet of bodies and implants and wearables and things. That's a whole, that's a whole other section.
1: Yeah. I, I'll read you this. I'll read you the, the uh, synopsis. I just uh, brought it up now. It says, WorldCoin is an Irish biometric cryptocurrency project developed by San Francisco and Berlin-based Tools for Humanity, founded in 2019 by OpenAI chief executive Sam Altman. Uh, What does it say? It hopes to provide a reliable way to authenticate humans online to counter bots and fake virtual identities facilitated by artificial intelligence. Using a distribution mechanism for its cryptocurrency similar to UBI, Worldcoin attempts to incentivize users to join its network by getting their iris scanned using Worldcoin's orb-shaped iris scanner. So, yeah, you should look into this one, man. It's (laughs) it's pretty wild. I mean, I I heard about it uh, a little while ago, but I thought it was just some you know random shitcoin crypto project. But then I. You heard a bit more about it. And I was like, this, this sounds super dystopian. And also the fact that, um, open AI and chat GPT, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan of chat I, I use it a lot. And, you know, I know that it, it is a bit of a, it sucks you in and stuff, but the fact that this is being, it's so hyped at the moment. And this same company is doing something which sounds basically perfectly in line with CBDCs and, you know, digital IDs and stuff that kind of rings alarm bells for me.
0: Yeah, that's when I look at this when I hear things like this, I look at uh, pros and cons, risk and reward. So what are they saying what problem they're solving or you know what kind of solution they have? So this is to fight bots, you know, at the at the expense of, of getting your your um, biometric data and and mixing that with AI and what they can do inferences and things they can learn from you and track you, trace you, manipulate and something very subtle ways. Um yeah, I don't. I don't see the the risk versus reward thing uh, being comparable.
1: Yeah, you know what? As well, like with with this whole bot thing, this is just such a non-issue. Like, I see, I see. For instance, like Twitter. I know it's probably it's arguably got a bit better under under Elon than it was before. But even under Elon, like all the time, you know, I'm getting followed by people, and it's like, oh, cool. I've been followed by this guy. You go in, it's got one letter change. It's like, you know, it's got an L for one of the letters in the in the handle and they've changed it to like a capital letter I or something. So it looks exactly the same, right? They've they, the, the profile picture is exactly the same. They've literally gone to that person's profile, like downloaded the picture and then uploaded it to their own profile. And they've put their name the same. Like the idea that you couldn't have an algorithm figure this out is absolutely ludicrous to me. The idea that you couldn't build a system that just says, okay, if someone creates an account or changes, you know, just run a thing every time someone changes their profile picture or every time someone changes their handle, run a thing, compare it to others, run a similarity algorithm, see if it's similar to their handle. And then if it is say, okay, test number two, is if they've got a similar picture, test number three, if they've got a similar name. And if it passes a certain, um, you know, level, you just say, okay, now we flag it for human review. It is so easy to do that. And for some reason, you know, they're just like, oh no, you know, we've got this bot problem. It, th- this is not, these are not difficult problems to solve, but the answer is, oh no, now we need to basically completely, you know, completely reshape the internet in favor of, you know, digital IDs. And we need to scan your iris and, you know, we need to do all this stuff, take away all privacy and have everything kind of logged by, you know, governments and and big tech because of this problem, which honestly like so a pretty elementary coder could, could solve this problem from my perspective.
0: <laughs> it's also, I, I think that, same kind of argument can be made about the CBDC. Like, what, what is that problem actually solving? All the IMF, BIS, World Bank, uh, you know, saying what, what's it going to do? Faster cross-border payments or enable cross-border payments, which we already have faster pay, uh, transactions. You know, that's almost about it. You know, I mean, they, they talk about, you know, also targeted, um, uh, Payments as well with, uh, programmability, which they paint in a positive light of, you know, getting aid to certain people in a certain way. Um, but no, nobody's, nobody from the ground, no people. No, and I don't see any citizens, people of the world, um, saying we want this, you know, it, it's something, you know, it's so what problem are you actually solving with, with bots on, on, on the internet? Like, yeah, is it really that big a deal anyway?
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, again, it's like all of these psyops are similar, right? It's like with the COVID thing, it's like, oh, we've all got this, you know, major problem and uh, we all need to go and get this vaccine. And it's like, well, I mean, one, do we have the problem? And two, is a vaccine the only solution to that problem, right? And it's similar with this, like, one, do we really have a bot problem? Is, is, Is the internet unusable because of bots? The answer is definitely not. Like some services are better than others, but like for, for the most part, you can use the internet perfectly fine. And number two is the solution to that, that we all basically throw away our privacy and completely tyrannize ourselves. Like obviously not. So yeah, it's just, again, problem, problem, reaction, solution, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about some more interesting in stuff, man. This is a, uh, let's get into Cause I, cause I know, you know, in your, um, the stuff that you, that you sent me, uh, I was, yeah as I said to you before I was kind of surprised some of these other things i I'd, I'd heard about you as a, as a writer about these kind of things you know um big tech and obviously like uh everything going on with wEF and digital privacy and stuff but I didn't realize some of this other stuff that you were into uh you know one of the things you mentioned on there was UFOs and you also said uap i don't know what uap is but um so yeah what's your interest in, in u f uFOs and what is uaps
0: oh uh, okay well going way back to uh, I'm 38, so child of the 90s. So, I think X Files is what really got me into UFOs way back as a oh, kid. Oh yeah. um, mm-hmm. But when I started looking at it again uh, a few years back, while writing for the sociable, I was, I was looking at you know the, the, their, the videos that uh, that the government was confirming. Yeah, these are real UFOs, but they call them UAP, which is interesting, uh, unidentified aerial phenomena.
1: So oh, okay.
0: So it's not actually, which, so is it actually flying or not? So I started looking, to, so once they confirm these things, so, okay, What what's possible tech could be involved in this? And I was looking at warp drives, Um, you know, where this bends space-time around a craft, so it's moving uh, with its own space-time kind of thing. And so I, I started looking at that and thinking, okay, looking at space-time itself, and I came across some research about, uh, extra tempestrials which makes, it got me thinking into a, an idea, uh, into a realm where UFOs or UAPs UAP, since it's an aerial phenomenon is the thing actually flying or is it moving through time? So like, um, it's a bending time, space time. So uh, the idea that these things, whether they're from, um, uh, another galaxy solar system, if they're from outer space, or if they're from another dimension, or are they? Could they be uh, people from the future, moving through space time? So th- that just got my interest uh, really going in that. It was from um, yeah. So I've always been interested in UFOs, um, and then also the uh, once they confirmed it, and, and I started looking at the tech and found it pretty interesting. But I've got no conclusions on it. I just find it fascinating.
1: Yeah, this is something that um, this was probably my earliest experience as well getting into like you know all this conspiracy stuff it's funny i've talked to quite a lot of people who are into all this stuff that the, the kind of stuff we talk about very like skeptical of government and you know kind of into conspiracies and things and a lot of them seem to have some kind of i guess like sci-fi conspiracy type stuff they used to consume as a child because i was a big x-files fan as well and i also used to watch don't know if you uh, you're from america right so I don't know, don't know if you had this channel. We had a channel called the Sci-Fi Channel. Did you have that one? Oh yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, you had it. Okay, cool. I used to watch the Sci-Fi Channel as a kid, just like on repeat, like whatever was on there. I was watching stuff about ghosts. I was watching stuff about aliens, everything. And in particular, I, I just loved UFO stuff. Like I just loved it. And yeah, I've kind of, I don't know. At, at some point I kind of just became, I stopped following it and stuff like that. But I still think, I still think that is something which is very, very interesting and there's something there as well. I actually think I've seen a UFO myself as well. don't know if you, if you've seen one.
0: No, I haven't. Um, I'd love to hear that story though. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, basically I was, um, it was here in Mexico. It was here in Mexico and uh, I was on a beach here and, uh, it was kind of like, it was just after dark. So, you know, we'd gone to watch the sunset. And, uh, you know, I was with my girlfriend and we were just kind of like on the sand, we were just kind of hanging out and I was on my back and, uh, and she was kind of, you know, like resting on, on, on her arms face, facing me. And I was just looking up and all of a sudden I saw like a kind of, it literally looked like fire in the sky. It looked like a, almost like a, the, um, the propulsion from a, a rocket or something like that. So it was like big and fiery and I saw it move maybe like. I don't know how far it was, but it wasn't fast. You know, a lot of people say like, oh, I saw a UFO and it moved like really, really fast. But this seemed to go like quite slowly. It almost looked as if it was a, you know, like, um, yeah, it was drifting in the sky almost. It looked maybe like how you'd expect a spaceship to kind of go around the earth, but there was this fire and then it just disappeared again. Like I, I saw it for just a split, a split few, few seconds and it disappeared. And I was like, oh my God, I, that was absolutely bizarre. And, um, yeah, like it's the only time I've, I've ever ever seen anything like that. But the funny thing was, I met a guy uh, a couple of weeks later and I was talking to him about, you know, I thought I saw something in the sky and everything like this. And I was saying, you know, it was really weird. It looked like a UFO. And he said, I've seen something really, really similar. And he knows other people who've seen it as well. So apparently like around this area, you get a lot of similar sightings of the same type of thing. That's, it's not like a, you know, it's not like a quick disc through the sky, but it's almost like a, a rocket ship type thing. That kind of appears and disappears, and that I'm not the only one who's seen it. So, I, I'm I'm really interested in this. I like I want to I want to know I want to know the answers, but I'm not sure that I will ever get them.
0: <laughs> I imagine well, that's, that's fascinating. Did you experience any uh, missing time or anything like that? Any weird things? Nothing going like on? that. No. Um, no. I, I think a lot of it, uh, the the stuff that people report seeing, I I, I would imagine the majority would be uh, secret government uh, programs. But where do they get the technology? You know, if it's something that they come up with on their own or if they, uh, back engineered it, reverse engineered it from somewhere. I don't know. Um, and even the, you know, when they talk about the nature of these objects or beings or, or whatever, I, I question, I, I've read, um, read a series of books called The Law of One and th- th- it was. I've heard about that. This is one where they, um, th- a group of people were, um, is it not really meditation? Well, it's kind of meditating, They're receiving channel, channeling information, which they say comes from some being called Ra. And this Ra is said to have come is a being that's not on our density. Our density is the third, they call it third density. Fourth density is one of love. Fifth density is one of wisdom. And the, anyway, they say that Venus right now, or at some point had a civilization. Their civilization transcended into this higher density, and they became one thought process, one collective being uh, energy called Ra, and that that's what was communicating to um, these people back back when. So the idea that you know, I'm, there's nothing. I'm not corroborating anything, not uh, um, confirming anything. I'm just saying like that. The idea is that even are these things or people like are they even in our own dimension of reality? Um, can they just manifest appear then disappear? Are they moving through time? But it, it, it's more than just, you know, like something coming from Mars or something coming from another planet and having to travel all this distance, which takes, you know, you know light years, and that's distance and speed, uh, speed, distance and time. Whereas if they do something with uh quantum or if they can, or, or just even communicate telepathically and show up in, in your consciousness somehow that, that, All these things, you know, I don't have any of the answers, but these things, uh, fascinate me to no end.
1: Have you heard the, uh, theory that aliens have intervened to prevent nuclear disasters in, in the world? Yeah. What do you think about that?
0: Yeah. I've heard, uh, various stories that yeah. When they're hit the button, humans are pushing the button or about to do something, then all of a sudden something collapses, breaks down. Um, and that there's interventions. I've heard it. Um, I don't know if if they're listening uh you know what's going on in Russia Ukraine the whole world then uh you know let, let's let's hope they're around.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. And uh another thing you mentioned which kind of ties into this is ancient civilizations. Um I've only had kind of one brief conversation about this when I was talking to um Darren Denslow from TNT radio cuz he's he's really into all of this kind of stuff. Um but yeah I've the ancient civilization stuff is something again that I've kind of got into a bit recently. I've been watching this thing on um, on Netflix, the one with Graham Hancock, the apocalypse. Uh, what's it called? I'm forgetting the name now. Ancient
0: apocalypse or
1: ancient apocalypse? That's the one. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I find this this stuff super interesting. So what's your what's your theory with all that? And does it does it tie into the alien stuff?
0: Yeah, uh, you don't need the aliens to because I love Graham Hancock. Um, I actually. The first time I saw anything of his, I was 10 years old in 1995. I saw a, a documentary of his on, on uh, I think it was National Geographic or uh, History Channel or something, I can't remember, but it was on the Ark of the Covenant. And then from there, you know, every time he, he was speaking, it said, Graham Hancock, author of Fingerprints of the Gods. And I started, um, so it got, it got me interested in the ancient civilizations. And from there, I... <laughs> I went to the library all the time as a kid and I was studying ancient Egypt and um, Mesopotamia um, and the Mayans, uh, like all over the world and things. Because he's he really started me off on that, like, well, what came before? Because all all we have, yeah. uh, you know, the information, you know, is like civilization started uh, like around what, 5,000, 4,000 BC in Mesopotamia and then Egypt. And then before that, there was no real civilization. Um, but I happen to agree. I've read many of his books, Graham Hancock's books, that I think that believe that there are multiple civilizations before there are multiple uh, catastrophes uh, on the earth. Um, different ancient texts talk about, too. I mean, of course, the last one being a flood. And so what, what Graham Hancock has been talking about is like a civilization before the flood, but. I think it's very cyclical. I think the, the world goes through, travels through, um, earth or traveling through different, uh, areas of space. And I think every, you know, just as the earth, uh, revolves around the sun, the sun revolves around something else and this revolves around something else. So each, it's like a clock, a dial, like, you know, every time, and it's a very, very long process of time, like thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of years that these things happen. So the, the last one, yeah, the flood. End of the last ice age, the flood. That's what his theory of destroying a previous civilization. I think there's a lot of um, a, a, a lot of truth in that, and I think that there's probably even older civilizations. One like the Mayans talked about different suns. They called it different ages. So like last one was destroyed by uh, by water, flood. The previous one by fire. A previous one by earthquake. So I, I just think these things are cyclical, and they happen all the time. Over very large scales, and that we forget everything from before. So we started, started new. So the current, you know, uh, mainstream archaeological, anthropological thing is that we, you know, hunter gatherers were progressing up into agriculture yeah. and society and civilization. But I still think there was remnants of that there's a higher civilization or civilizations way before.
1: That is so interesting. So yeah, I've not heard it phrased like that before. It's almost like, as we're moving, as we're moving in out of space, in outer space, and you've kind of got all of these different kind of bodies in space, that you know it's, it's extremely complex, and you've got all these orbital systems going on, but that at occasional like periods, you go through something which resembles something we've gone through before, right? So maybe some of them happen every, that makes a lot of sense, right? Because you could you know, we know that let's bring it down to the level of like you know a, a day. Well, in a day, we know that we have day and then we have night, right? So we know that, you know, it gets warmer in the day, it gets lighter, et cetera. And then in night it gets cooler and it goes dark. And then you could extrapolate that out and say, well, what happens, you know, in a month? Well, in a month, we know that there's kind of certain lunar patterns uh, that that occur during the month, certain things happen with the tides, et cetera. Then you could say, okay, well, what happens in a year? Well, in a year, you've got four seasons. You've got like the four seasons going from kind of cold to warmer, it gets, you know, heats up in the summer and then it goes cold again in the winter. And then you could say, well, what happens on a, on a 10? And then there's no, why, why should we stop there? I mean, it makes total logical sense that for us as humans, we, you know, we, we look at everything in a human lifetime, right? So we can even look maybe at what the climate's doing in a hundred year period, because it makes sense in a human lifetime. Once you start going beyond that, it becomes incredibly difficult to predict and kind of more and more like theoretical as to what's going on. But it makes perfect sense that you know, we're looking at the micro, even a day or a year or whatever that's, or even a thousand years looking at climate is actually still micro on the level of what's going on in universe. So if you, if you kind of extrapolate that out to what's happening on the macro, then you could say, okay, well now we're talking about what, what have things that happen every 10,000 years or whatever that it makes perfect sense for them to be seasonal as well, just in the way that we have seasons during a year.
0: Exactly. I even, uh, read something quite a while back about, uh, interplanetary climate change like so are we just looking at things on earth and everything has to be about co2 or does it have something to do with stations of the the sun the seasons um uh, and yeah as i mentioned of how um like our solar system we're not in a fixed place in the universe like we're constantly moving through different spaces and and as that is that cyclical thing um it's it's it, like as above, so below, like from the smallest thing ever, like they say, you know, in an atom, there's a nucleus and electrons going around. Same with planets, same with uh, galaxies even. So when a galaxy, so if you think on the, the micro, you know, the planets and the solar system and that's going through, but these galaxies are also going like this. And, and who knows that there are multiple universes, you know, meta metaverses as well. Yeah. In that respect. No idea. So, but it seems plausible. So, it, it, yeah, it's that makes you think a lot about the whole climate change thing as well. Is just, are we going through a, a season where, you know, I mean, thousands of years ago, they have samples, like there was warming, there was cooling. What happened before humans, you know, like, was that, was that our fault, you know, like before we even existed, that, that these things were going on?
1: Yeah. The, the climate thing for me, it's, it's something that I didn't really think, you know, I was fully on the, on the, the, the climate change bandwagon before, um, before 2020. Like I, I believed all of it. Like I didn't really question any of it. I just assumed that, the you know, all of these kind of quote unquote experts knew what they were doing. And then when everything happened with COVID, I kind of realized, okay, well, science can be manipulated. Like that was my kind of, I guess my first big moment of being like, okay, this can be, you know, science can be corrupted, you know, like propaganda is real. And since then I've been thinking more about the, the climate thing. It's not, I don't spend too much time on it. I don't really, I haven't really fully gone down the, the rabbit hole, but I look at stuff like, You know, we have photos of, like, um, London when, like, the Thames was frozen over. Like, I don't know whether the photos actually might be, there might be, I'm not sure if they were drawn images, but certainly, like, this happened. Like, you know, it's documented. We know in history that, like, the Thames froze over. I think, like, multiple years in a row, there was, like, essentially extremely cold winters. And we've also had extremely hot summers. And these things have happened in history. But now it's like, okay, well, everything now is due to, is due to carbon dioxide. And I do sympathize with the idea that they say, well, it's the speed at which it's changing. Like it's changing really, really fast now. So that's the only door really that's still open for me. The only question that I need answered, and I don't know the answer to it one way or another is, is the current change that we're seeing in the world of temperatures, first of all, is it happening? Because I know that there is, you know, some people say that the, the earth is actually cooling, et cetera. But if it's warming as is claimed, how fast is it happening and is it happening abnormally fast so that we know that it must be related to something, you know, human cause rather than natural cycles of
0: climate. Or even if it is happening abnormally fast, do we know that's human caused Right. Or is it, yeah, so that's, you're right about, I mean, you know, when COVID came along and started questioning things. Yeah. Before I used to, well, I've been skeptical about the World Economic Forum for quite a long time, but I used to believe in things like the, the UN, the, 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 the who, um, you know, I thought that these were, you know, yeah, these are the experts and they got things right. But when COVID came along, like there's different groups of people, like people who are kind of, okay, I, I think so. This is okay. Look what they're saying. Oh, that makes sense. But then all of a sudden we see these things, we start to question things and it all just comes unraveling. Whereas other people, they just doubled down and said, trust the experts. That's all I'm going to do. Just like, these are the experts. What do you, what's your degree? And what do you know? You know? And so then they went totally on that one side, while the other people who were kind of questioning, were like, now we're starting to question everything. So yeah, the co- it's so funny because wouldn't have questioned, You know, I don't know if I would have come to question climate if it weren't for COVID. Um,
1: yeah. yeah, but I, when I see the
0: same policies, the same you know movement, they're, they're trying to move towards the same goals in terms of global policies and how that affects people. It's just to me, it's just another scam. I've also you know heard people okay. If global warming or you know climate change, you know this is happening and it is human caused. Is is it because of CO two or once again another false flag psyop operation? Whereas people, you know, weather can be manipulated, um, climate can be manipulated. So even if so, if they don't get enough people on board believing that this is happening, you know, and just use some kind of technology that with a um, harp or or some other type and just caused something to happen then people like okay see we were right so (laughs) and and yet climate is actually changing and it's it's (laughs) man-made but just not in the way you think
1: so if you're a regular listener to the show then you might remember a recent episode that i did with alex zek which was episode 46 called the viral myth and evolving beyond the paradigm of deception So if you haven't listened to the episode, I really recommend you go and check it out. Talk about a lot of interesting ideas regarding virology and illness and how we can take control over our own health. And more recently, someone from Alex's team got in touch with me about an educational event that they're going to be doing, which I definitely think is going to interest a lot of you guys. So it's called The End of COVID and it's an online education designed for the way in which we consume content today. Similar to a podcast, they've recorded over 100 hours of interviews, presentations, and conversations with prominent voices from the likes of David Icke, Kelly Brogan, Amanda Vollmer, Tom Cohen, Andrew Kaufman, Christiane Northrup, and many, many more. This event launches on July the 11th. I had a look through the program, and as well as these very prominent guests, a few that jumped out to me were Alex Zek himself, Jesse Zuriwell and Patrick Henningsen from TNT Radio, Dr. Melissa Sell, Nick Hudson, and Etienne de la Botte Squared. So if this sounds like something that interests you, please do use my referral link. That's theendofcovid.com slash ref slash 606. That's theendofcovid.com slash ref slash 606. That will be in the show notes anyway. And on that website, you can check out all about it. There's a trailer there. There's a bunch of information. You can see all the speakers and see what the event's about. And if you do decide that this is going to be a value for you and you end up signing up to get access to the program, please do use my referral code and that will help support my content as well. All right, after the episode. It's really interesting how like COVID was supposed to be, you know, the final, the final nail in the coffin of freedom, essentially like that from their perspective, it was like, it's gone, you know, like, this is the final thing. And then we're, we're going to end freedom with that's going to be the tyranny. But in the end, it, it turns out that like it, the way that I see it, it's like, um, there's a really awesome phrase, but I always butcher phrases, but it's something like, if you're going to shoot for the, if you're going to shoot for the king, you better not miss. Right, and I, and the way I see COVID is it's like they went they went for broke, and when it didn't achieve its ultimate aim, when I think a lot of people kind of recognize, well, this is the, you know we're being lied to here. Not only was it just kind of like a fail in terms of well, you know, you didn't bring about this world, you know, we're not all you didn't send all the unvax to the camp, and you know, you didn't have everyone on digital IDs not able to travel and living at home eating bugs or whatever. When that didn't happen, actually what, what's happened is that's that's ultimately turned into their Achilles heel because so many people have been red-pilled by that, that now they're going to have to work 10 times as hard on the climate thing because now not only have they got to win over all of the kind of you know blue-pilled normies, they've now got to win over all of this these kind of red-pilled outliers who have just become a way, way higher contingent of the population.
0: Yeah, COVID wasn't deadly enough and it didn't... Like affect children enough. That's uh, so what if it, I think if it, it would have killed people, if it, if it more people like deadly, deadly, if it was more harmful to children. If you didn't see, cause I recognized early on when the, even before vaccines came out and they were talking about uh, vaccines, I looked at the data, like cases way up here, deaths way down here. Who's dying? Uh, comorbidities, elderly, um, obese, uh, people with other things. Then look at the then play the numbers of you know died of COVID or died with COVID. That's a whole other thing. Putting people on, um it uh, intubating people, that that seems to be have been disastrous. So when it came along, and and then and in the, in the data, the information is like, oh, what what are the symptoms of coronavirus COVID? And it was to me, the flu. So for me personally, I decide, okay, I'd rather have COVID than. Once, because I already heard talks and I was already starting to write about immunity passports could be a thing. And I was like, well, why do you need that if you already get COVID and you recover and then why would you need to have this injection? Um, so I saw the writing on the wall early on. And then once I saw the initial uh, uh, reportings from each of the drug companies, pharma companies on their vaccines, each one of them said that there was no proof that it prevented transmission. But then once I saw that, you know, globalists and governments and corporate, everybody pushing for these things, I just knew very early on that it was all bullshit. Um, so yeah, <laughs> that, I don't know where I'm going with that. Well, but I mean, that, they
1: tell you, they actually, they actually, this is this is the weird thing. They actually tell you, I mean, I, I, tr- I try not to get too much of a tinfoil hat on, although compared to most people, I've definitely, definitely wearing the tin foil hat. But like, I actually have a lot of um, sympathy for those people who say, You know, like there's this kind of demonic inversion thing going on, you know, like they, and part of that is that they, they tell you what they're going to do. So that it's almost like to kind of get your consent for it. It's like with everything they say, it's like, well, you consented, you know, they like, because it's true that they didn't actually come around and force the jab in your arm. They didn't come around knocking on the door and forcing you. And they didn't, you know, yes, they told you, you were going to lose your job and this, that, and the other, but, you know, technically it's not forcing you. And with all this stuff, it's like with the transmission stuff, it's like, oh, well, we didn't actually tell you it was going to, you know, we, we, we insinuated it. We said it makes you a good person. And we said, you know, you are, a, you're an awful human being. If you don't take it and you know, you're going to put your family in danger, but we never actually said the words, it stops transmission. Right. This is what they do. They kind of like, they play both of these sides and they, they kind of just give it enough to try and save their own karma. This
0: is. It's ridiculous because, yeah, the the World Health Organization, I think it was back in February of 2021 or 2020, 2021, maybe World Health Organization published something in collaboration with the Gates Foundation. It was a 99-page technical booklet on how to implement, for governments to implement uh vaccine passports or digital health certificates. What they even said in there, we do not recommend, we sh- you shouldn't issue a health certificate based solely on vaccination status because we don't know anything about the transmission. <laughs> so they tell you, don't do this for vaccination status, but if you're going to, this is how you do it. it, it but yeah. but they, yeah. many people did say it would prevent transmission. I mean, we, we saw Rachel Maddow. We saw uh, Rochelle Walensky from the CDC. We saw um, uh, even Joe Biden himself said it. And I think maybe Fauci said it a few times as well, but um, the drug companies themselves mm, in their documentation, no. And then we saw uh, in the European Parliament a while back that the the Pfizer representative said they didn't even test for transmission. So, but <laughs> yeah, they they tell you. Yeah. As you mentioned about that demonic thing, or what cultists do. I, I've looked into the you know I study uh, I looked into the occult and esotericism and and um, uh, Fre- Freemasonry and uh, Hermeticism and Gnostics and everything. And okay. There is, there's elements of yeah you need to tell what they are going to do in order for you to accept you have to it's that suggestibility um
1: right okay so you've actually gone down that you've actually gone down that road and looked into those stuff because oh yeah yeah that's um that that's not something i've looked into i actually i I definitely think there's something there with all with all of the the occult and some of this kind of like dark stuff would you call it demonic is demonic a good term because i guess like for me as a person who's not um it seems that way, but also I'm not like too religious. I kind of almost feel like I need a different word to describe it. I guess like darkness or some kind of spiritual depravity mm-hmm. is the better way of turning it for me. I but. do
0: see a spiritual element to it. So, I mean, to a Christian, it would be demonic. Um, mm-hmm. to maybe, uh, Muslim, it'd be the jinn. Um, right. And other people, the Gnostics, I think they're called archons. Um, and it's, yeah, I, I, you know, I've, I've taken, um, I've been on, psychedelic journeys myself and i've come you know had experiences where i felt like that's where's this information coming from why am i hearing this why am i seeing this like who who am i actually communicating with when i'm on these things or is it just a, a epiphenomenon of the brain is it is this just creating something from my own head or am i receiving something from somewhere else um and so for when when these um well, the about the occult thing people think about in secret societies. Um, I don't know what goes on in those things. I don't know who's a member of what, who's a part of what, what they believe, but I see certain sometimes, you know, elements of this in what they're doing. So I'll give you an example. Um, so there's a, a book called the Kaibalion Ky- or Kibalion. Um, it was written in 1912. It's supposed to be, um, a study, uh, uh, it's supposed to be knowledge or wisdom coming from hermes uh and but it has different chapters and different principles and one of these principles is called the principle of polarity which i think relates even if um even if people in power who are trying to control and manipulate the world even if they don't ascribe to this or haven't heard of it i think there's some principles here uh, to take away from so the principle of polarity says that uh, i'm quoting here Everything is dual. Everything has poles. Everything has its pair of opposites. Like and unlike are the same. Opposites are identical in nature, but different in degree. Extremes meet. All truths are but half-truths. All paradoxes may be reconciled. So that's just like, when I see messaging coming from uh, globalists, governments, I see a lot of half-truths. And I think they, they recognize this. So if we just give them this little bit, you know, this little bit, but it's part of this other thing. So we can say that something is good, but it's also bad at the same time. We know it's bad, but we'll just give them this part because that's just how they, they operate. I see you have to look, read between the lines and I just see a bunch of half truths. You know, they, they can't, you can't have light without dark. You can't have hot without cold, good without bad, it, yin, yang. It's just a, a swinging thing, a pendulum that I see that, um, which I think that's what they do to they manip- manip- manipulate people. If someone, if someone is getting a little too much on the negative, they just try to hit you with a little bit of positive. If it's too much positive, they try to hit you with a negative. Just try to keep that balance, which I see those kinds of forces happening in the world.
1: Interesting. Did, did your kind of ideas about um, polarity and duality and stuff, like is, is that because of, um, is that from your psychedelic experiences or is this just something that you, you've had no. interest for a while?
0: No, it, it's, no, not, 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 on the polarity, no. And I, 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 th- I thought, I have thought a lot about uh, polarity and duality throughout the years, like how, um, you know, even machines and how uh, computing and, and binary and things, but, uh, but what psychedelics kind of brought to me is that even out of those two, there's, there's a whole, there's a oneness to everything. Um, which I also got from reading the Law of One books as well, is that there really is no difference between one another, just different representations, different avatars of one's own self. Um, and then in that respect, you know, we're all one, but that's kind of also a new age hippy-dippy thing that, I, I mean, I, I see it from a certain perspective, but I also can see it once again, just in the principle of polarity, how you can control people like that. We're all one, one world, you know, one one people, one earth, one nation, one government one, you know, I can see how that can be manipulated in very various ways as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, um, that it's, it's similar for me. A lot of the, these kind of ideas that you talk about have kind of availed themselves to me on psychedelic experiences. Like, you know, the ideas of like yin and yang and things like that, they have like a real depth to them when you're in that state, you kind of like just see it from a different, um, perspective. But yeah, and I know what you mean. There is this temptation to, to be like, if you start talking about we're all one, we're all come from the same source, there's this temptation to be like, okay, well, you know, if you advocate for that, why wouldn't you advocate for world government and this kind of stuff? But it's very different. I mean, we are, we kind of come from the same source, but like having our own unique um, place in the world and having our own free will and uh, like exploring our own like freedom in the world ultimately leads to that kind of like leads to the positive outcomes in the world whereas if everything is if you're trying to control everything from the the centralized point from that kind of point of everything's the same and you try to make everything the same then you get rid of all you get rid of all contrast in the world like and if there's there's nothing worse really from a spiritual point of view of just same you know sameness mundan- mundanity kind of thing it's like if every everyone is the same everyone's under the the, the exact same system and expected to be the same and own the same etc well that's kind of pure darkness like you can't have and like you said you can't have the light without the dark so if you have you know you can't have um kind of uh let's say for instance people who are, who are wealthy well if everyone has the same wealth, nobody's wealthy, everyone, everything just becomes the same. There is no contrast there. You have to have wealth and you have to have people who are more and less wealthy. And as long as you're kind of like moving in it, trending in the direction of everyone becoming more wealthy, you're always going to get those contrasts. But probably you're going to see the contrast increase as everyone gets more wealthy rather than decrease. Like it doesn't normally work the other way. It doesn't normally work that if you make everything the same, that doesn't normally lift all the boats, right? Like the boats are normally lifted where where... Yes, some people get richer and other people get richer, but only more slowly, et cetera. I'm kind of, um, maybe, uh, going a little bit off, off track with my original point here, but you know, the, these ideas of, um, contrast, like being important on the individual level, but also having a recognition that we come from the same source on a kind of spiritual level, I think that that's where the sweet spot is for me.
0: Yeah, that's, um, because yes the, the the collectivism versus individualism you go look at that from a spiritual point of view or a, as like a more material point of view um the, i agree with you um because yeah we, we need that freedom to express ourselves freedom to grow freedom to develop um you know and if we're not interfering with someone else's process then that's awesome but originally from the same source we are one in in kind of that um, harmony and in, in spirit in spirit but uh Once again, yeah, I did see it being uh, manipulated in other ways, but I I completely uh, agree with where you're coming from.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, the thing is that truth that we are all from the same source, anyone can experience that. I mean, go and have a psychedelic experience and you will experience it. You know, it doesn't matter how much of an anti-collectivist you are. You you still are gonna have that recognition. And it doesn't make you any more of an anti-collectivist when you kind of come back. You know, like there's no it's not like you stay in that world and you go, okay, cool, like let's just have global communism now. The the (laughs) the two ideas are kind of are kind of like completely completely separate. But having that experience that we all come from the same source, like if anything, from me having that experience, I think has made me more of an I don't really like using the word individualist because it has kind of bad connotations, but more interested in individual expression when I come back. I actually feel like that's more important thing in the world after having that experience of source. I don't know if it's like the same for you.
0: Yeah, I remember, uh, it wasn't the first time that I that I had uh, eight mu- uh, mushrooms, um, but it was one of the few, uh, first few times when I was in university in 2004. And I remember coming down from uh, this this trip and I just decided like, my God, I just want to interact with other people. I want to get to know this person, this person. I want to hear their experiences. I want to learn. I want to, but not just hear it, uh, you know, just what they did or whatever. I want to feel it. I want them. I, so I started interviewing people <laughs> as I was already coming down. I, I went to, I was in the, living in a dorm room, in, in dorm hall. I just walked by when people who had the doors open. I just started talking, Hey, what's going on? What What are you interested in? What's your passions? What are your hobbies? What do you like to do? What What motivates you? What drives you? And like, and I could feel like, once they t- started saying something, like I could find something to connect with, even if we come from different backgrounds and, uh, you know, totally different, you know, whatever. And I was like, Oh my God, that's awesome. You, you felt that I, I'm feeling that right now too. Like, so I felt a huge connection there, but that's from their individual experiences to have that connection, to feel that oneness within that. But yeah. it was an amazing experience.
1: That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean, it, it, it just has the ability to dissolve these boundaries in that way. And you, you, you know, you, you literally become just so much more operating from the heart, essentially, you know, when, when you're on these experiences. And it's like, if you were doing that all the time, you, you know, it wouldn't work, you'd get nothing done because, you know, you can't stay in that state stay all the time. But like having that state and visiting there is awesome. I actually just, um, my last conversation on this podcast was purely a psychedelics episode. So if people listening who are interested in psychedelics, definitely go and listen to that one. But one of the things that he told me, James, James Sander, is that like, having psychedelic experiences, it's kind of like you, you have an experience of your highest self. Essentially, you have an experience of, of kind of like your, your most spiritually engaged or your, your kind of, how how do you term it? Yeah. Just like your, your highest level of consciousness essentially. And then when you come back, the goal is to kind of not, you know, to try to achieve that or to try to orientate your life more towards that. So it's kind of like, you've got your guiding star there. This is my highest level of consciousness. This is, you know, who I could be. This is my level of love and appreciation and, you know, appreciation for beauty in the world, whatever it is. Now I have to try to orientate my life to, to kind of continuing to feel that in some way rather than just forgetting about it. So it's kind of like, it's a reminder, you know, of what's important in the world.
0: Yeah, that's um, uh, integration is what they is really important Integration, so, yeah yeah it's after that process and um i remember the last time it, i went mushroom hunting here in colombia in, in, in uh 2020 in february so it was just before the pandemic out, uh, came, uh was official and um so i ate these mushrooms at home and had a nice trip and i was writing down in my journal as it was going on as like in uh, real time documenting everything that was happening um and one of the things that that was going to integrate later was it's something a voice said to me it's always sounds proverbial or something that from some ancient script uh they said a question is a seed plant it its fruits shall be your answers and i mean the integration part for me was like uh well you just wait was that your realization that was what you wrote down yeah something like so that's what i think like a download
1: from somewhere yeah that is awesome. Yeah, that's really, really good.
0: And so, like, I remember, it's not the first time, oh, The verb, like, the first time I took them, it, it said, like, uh, remember the past, live in the moment, be mindful of the future, was another kind of download thing. And these are really simple things, but these are things that I've been integrating, you know, in into life. It's just, question everything, like, why is the wind blowing in this direction? Or why does wind blow? Where does wind come from? Where does this, once it's... I'm really interested in origins of everything. So, you know, like, going, like why are things happening? Why are systems the way they are? Why do people act the way they are, behave? Why does anything? So I, I keep trying to go back and back and back and back until I try to find sources of things, um, which kind of brings back to journalism sources. <laughs> um, yeah, but the whole integration process, uh, asking questions, uh, yeah, I take a lot out of that.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. This is something that I really hope that we're going to move towards. And I think we are, but... I really think that with everything that that's happened and with this kind of massive global you know red pilling process that we've gone through, people are moving away from the traditional institutions they're moving away from just kind of like the dogma that they've been that they've kind of been taught in the past, and I think that like now people are willing to just explore more like so much more to just say,' okay, what's truth in my own life because I can't be prescribed truth like you know, we, we, we tried it being just prescribed truth by the institutions and, you know, they just led us down a really dark path. So now how do I find truth in my own life? And one of the things that I think is going to be super important for that is like plant medicine and psychedelics. Like, I really hope that we're going to have a renaissance of that now where people are saying, OK, like, if I really want to know truth, if I'm, if I'm really taking the red pill, like... Then I need to like explore my, I need to explore my own consciousness, you know, like that, that's going to give me some answers that nothing else will give me.
0: And I think that's uh, going back to ancient civilizations. I think ancient societies are very much in tune to that. Um, uh, mm-hmm. the, the Greeks, for example, they had the, uh, the Kekion, uh, which they drank in their rituals at, oh, where was that place? I forgot the name of it, but they used to go in the, the rituals, the initiations, and they would take this drink, this powder this potion the psychedelic and they go through the initiation and then they become learned people um i believe the ancient graham hancock mentioned the egyptians and, and the blue lotus flower Are they going through that uh in in mexico well you have the right where M- maria sabina introduced uh the r gordon wasson the whole mush the whole mushroom cult that they thought no one else in the world was doing uh but she introduced that in the 1950s and then that's what brought everybody nobody knew about magic mushrooms or you know the uh, psilocybin hallucinogenic mushrooms or they'd forgotten about it until the 1950s um and then there was also what john marco allegro wrote the sacred mushroom in the cross and he was saying about like the dead sea scrolls and and he said that i think jesus was a mushroom <laughs> like so like they um but in terms of what some kind of spiritual rena- renaissance or, or psychedelic renaissance i don't know how to if it, you know to get people on board with that because i mean people just wouldn't want to there's some people a lot of people are well one would be dangerous for or you know can't do it um and, and there's such a taboo thing which i don't know i think it would be do a lot of good if, if people had these experiences maybe they experience it in other ways you know in shamanism they you know they they you can get into these altered states of consciousness through uh, chanting uh through drum beats uh stanislav grof had the um was it the breathing uh method of Getting into these altered states. So there's many different ways. Another one from was getting stung by a bunch of bees and beetles and stuff, which really, gets, yeah, uh, get you there. Um, I think that's, I think I'll skip that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there, but it, that's why I think in order for, you know, coming from the top down globalists, they kind of want all this unity. Hey, we need, we're, we're one. We need to move towards this one government, one currency, one people, one world and all that. But that's all coming from the top down and there's lots of resistance you know from regular normal people like you and i um so i think that any kind of movement that's going to happen if we were going to eliminate boundaries orders um you know and join up in the world it would it'd be a mass movement from the people it would be a collective consciousness kind of thing coming from the ground up saying this is what we want not someone coming down saying this is what you need so that that's that, yeah until that time i just don't think uh anytime someone mentions like, hey, this digital ID could be a good thing, could unify us in this way, could be a good thing, unify it. No, we're not spiritually ready for that. I don't think so.
1: Yeah, I don't even think that we'll, I don't think that we ever will be spiritually ready for that. I think that once you're spiritually ready, you move away from that and you actually just say like, this is not not what we want. Like we don't don't want any kind of centralized control of any of this. But you know, I, I love this, Tim, because like this is something that, I've been thinking a lot with this movement and kind of where it's going now, because we've had, you know, all of these people who are kind of very different, right? I mean, you know, when I was uh, going to protest and stuff in London and people have had on the podcast, I've had, I've had everyone from like, you know, super kind of like hippie types, you know, to, to people who are kind of like much more kind of like right wing conservative type of people. And we all, Previously, we were, kind of, we were kind of unified just against the VAX passports and, you know, generally speaking, against the CBDCs and stuff like this. But now I think that we're going into a different phase of the freedom movement where it's like, okay, well, what is this about? You know, like, we've we've weathered this storm. Yes, there's more tyranny going down the line, and no doubt we'll all come together when the CBDCs, when they try and roll them out and say no, and we'll just, you know, kind of um, absolutely just decline to do it and won't participate, et cetera. But, like... I think that there's also a kind of conscious um, process going on here. Like, I think it's important that we actually elevate our consciousness in, in, this, in this movement. And we actually talk about not just like opposing the latest thing, but like, what do we want to build? Like, you know, what do we hope to achieve? And um, it's cool. I didn't realize that you were you were kind of, you know, into all of this stuff, you know, like like um, psychedelics and, and all this kind of stuff and plant medicine and, and exploring consciousness. But I, I think it's a really integral part. But then you've also got people who are kind of like, supposedly in the movement, supposedly on our side, you know, and these aren't, I'm not talking about even just like very like super mainstream people, but I'm talking about like kind of second tier, like influencer types. And I see them kind of just talking all the time about like the trans stuff or, or whatever it is. And I just kind of feel like it's, it's a bit of a derailing. Okay. Like, you know, we can all agree, like, let's not trans kids and stuff, but let's not spend all day talking about it let's actually talk about how are we going to how are we going to elevate our consciousness how are we going to like build healthy communities how are we going to like heal our trauma how 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 are we going to do all of this stuff now that we're not trusting the the institutions now that we're moving away from the way that we've done things before how are we going to work on the real things that are important in life like you know family you know community um like health whatever it is and um i that is happening but i do worry that it's not happening in completeness in the community. There's kind of like you know, there's there's two kind of like fractions now. There's like a conscious resistance that's happening, and then there's a more unconscious resistance, which is still just you know, oh, we hate liberals, we hate this, we hate that. Like, do you, do you know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, I, I, a lot of distraction and division. Um, I have to admit that personally, you know, with what I do, what I find meaning in life, and you know, what I write about is that I just want to show people what's going on in the world. And how these things can affect them. And just give them information, do what you want with that. That's that's for like more of the society thing, and not so much as like a community thing. And then on a personal level, I just want to be left alone. So once I started realizing, you know, after when COVID came around, it's like I see more and more infringement on my liberty. Like, hey, I don't want this. Show other people what's going on. Do you want this? Do what you want with it. I'll keep getting this information out there meanwhile you know because i just want to be left alone and then once being left alone you start from scratch start small in your local community then build out from there but for right so for right now it's just like stop abusing me (laughs) um i don't want this take your vaccine passports and shove it um i'm going to tell as many people as i can and then people more people smarter than i can come up with these solutions because i never that's the one thing I'm I'm always uh, I've been questioning a, a bit you know like on solutions of what do you propose and things and it's I don't have them I just I, my what I see my role in is is showing people what's going on and then um just wanting to live a, a normal life um away from all of that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, fair enough. May- maybe this will happen as an organic process, maybe the most important thing, or perhaps the only thing that you can collectivize on is actually fighting against stuff. And the rest of it is not going to be any part of a collective process. It's going to be, as you say, an individual process. And maybe at that point, you just say like, give me the freedom and then I'll go on that journey myself rather than that journey itself being as a part of that movement. So yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's fair enough. Maybe that's um,
0: I'm free will. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just, you know, like I don't, I, I try to. I, I'm not an activist. I try not to advocate things, and especially in, in writing, um, I don't tell people what to do. Like, I don't say go out and vote for this person, go out and oppose this. Like, because I believe in, in really in free will. As long as your free will isn't really screwing over my free will, um, then yeah, just get the information, do what you want with it. That's 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 how I how I see it. Just you know, without telling people what to do, and, and without trying to be an activist.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, cool. So let me just see if there's anything else that I wanted to get into with you. Uh, oh yeah. You know what I wanted to ask you about you? Well, two things actually, first of all is, uh, living in Colombia. How did that come about? How did you end up working? How did you end up uh, living out there?
0: Oh, wow. Um, long ago. Okay. So I was living in Seattle in 2011 and I was working as a cook in a restaurant and I was really not happy. And so I did the digital equivalent of like spreading the globe, and I just searched um, writing jobs because I I, had just, I was what seven no four years out of university. I got my degree, uh, bachelor's degree in linguistics from Western Washington University, um, and I was going nowhere. So I, I found a, a, just searched the internet <laughs> anywhere in the world writing gigs internships, and I found one in Medellin, Colombia. It was one of the first ones that came up. Um, and then so I took a three month internship, uh, loved it. And then I went back to the United States, tried to find a job there in 2012, couldn't find one. So then I looked for another internship elsewhere in the world in journalism, which I ended up in Ghana in West Africa. So I stayed there for six months, five months, five months, um, interviewed the ex president, uh, got invited to his house, uh, for, you know, some chicken, um, had a great experience there, came back to the States. Couldn't find a job again. Everyone everyone in the world in the United States wanted like three to five years of experience. Didn't have it. So I decided to go back to Colombia again in 2014 just because I love the experience. And um, I was working for free for six months uh, at, with with the online newspaper and in English. And just as my visa was expiring and I had no money, I, I could afford two empanadas a day for like a week or something like that. Um, I got offered the job with, um, with the sociable and I was so, cause some, the, someone saw my writing, what I was doing and said, Hey, come do this. And I'm like, awesome. And so I just stayed. <laughs> so like, I thought, I thought back in 2014, I was only going to be here six months and this has turned into over nine years now.
1: Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I'd love to visit Columbia. It's like been basically top of my list for a long time. I actually tried to go there, um, last year but they at that point they were they were request requesting that you've been vaccinated to go there I, I don't think that's happening now but
0: no but it was terrible because yeah they did that on december 14th just before christmas i had tickets to go back to the united states um and then all of a sudden i had to cancel that just, uh, i couldn't see my family my this is where it really hit home to me too because this, this was after two years of writing about vaccine passports warning about all this and how the insane it was and it was my 14 year old nephew's last christmas he had leukemia for half his life seven years and that was his last christmas and i couldn't go see him he he died on january 5th just just after oh, that man. so that just i couldn't that that just it made it so personal for me that that's I, heartbreaking man i'm sorry to hear it and, and you know I, i'm looking at myself like do I sacrifice my own to, to get this when they, yeah, that does yeah. one. And then there's, there's tons of stories of even more heartbreak. Like people can't not seeing loved ones and other things happening and, and people losing their livelihoods and stuff. But no, that, 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 that hit hard.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, the, these things, uh, like they've affected people in, in, in crazy ways. I mean, there's, you know, there's video, I see these videos in the UK of when, You've got people like looking through the through the glass at their their elderly re- relative who's got al- Alzheimer's and they're you know they're wearing a mask on and their 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 relative doesn't understand what's going on and why they're not in the room with them and why they've got a mask on and they can't recognize them and you know they're they're upset and crying and I'm just like this is this is this is evil you know like I really feel like we saw in our at least up close and personal obviously you could say well you know there's a lot of evil in the world when it comes to wars and things like this but. Seeing those kind of things, really, to me, I was just like, "This is as close to evil as I've ever come." You know, seeing seeing stuff like that.
0: And I love Colombia. This it's I've been so wonderful here, and cost of living, and the people, the food, and culture, and, and everything. And um, I live out in, in the countryside, and it's it's absolutely beautiful, it's stunning in the Andes mountains here. Um, but I don't understand why they would implement that. Colombia was one of the last countries in the world to do this like i don't know why they waited so long to like if they were going to do something why they do it then now this this was in yeah uh, december of 2021 was
1: it? it just yeah yeah i mean you know what like with with colombia as well i mean personally from being from being here in mexico i can tell mexico has absolutely boomed since covid so many people have come here from you know particularly canada and america well canada especially because you know they've got an actual dictator but even america even some of the you know places like california we hear all about people going from california to to texas or whatever to california to florida but actually a lot of people from california have gone to places like mexico so it's 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 cheaper and it's closer and it's actually in in some cases easier for them to just get here so actually like california um sorry like mexico has done has done really really well and i feel like colombia could have it got so much of that success. It could have got a huge influence of people. It could have got a huge influence of you know of money, et cetera. It's a cheaper country than Mexico. I think a lot of people would have made that decision to go to Colombia. But no, they went along with the, you know, they went along with the program. And therefore, they're not going to see those results because now people are settling down and people are settling down in places like, like Mexico. It's it's like it was a one chance kind of opportunity for countries to say, we're not going to go with the tyranny and to benefit from the success of that and i think it's a shame for colombia because you know colombia it, it would have been a really really great candidate in my opinion to do that
0: well what's happening now is it's not there's a there's a huge boom in in tourism right now since they lifted the restrictions and everything but it's not it's not yeah it's not people coming to settle not come not freedom seeking people during that time because yeah. this wasn't the yeah, best yeah. Time of that so now actually they're having the, the a different problem, which is gentrification and it's, um there there's signs in, in the city in Medellin, you know, that there's so many the gringos now that they're jack like all the Airbnb prices are going up and then, and then and then plus there's inflation as well. But with everything getting more expensive, people like a couple of years ago they were saying come to Colombia, you won't die. Um <laughs> it won't kill you. It's safe. The only thing the only danger you have is that uh, is not wanting to leave. And now that all that are here, a lot of tourists are here there's signs up everywhere. Gringos go home. We don't want you. And so it's 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 really but yeah, they're not the freedom seeking people. And yeah, Colombia missed they could have had something uh I I really thought Colombia and Mexico were were like, Oh, these are the places that are I'm glad I'm here. You know, I, I cool being in Mexico as well, but that didn't happen. No.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that was happening in Colombia. That's happening here as well. Not so much um outside of Mexico City, but I've heard that that's happening a lot in Mexico city now in in particular in areas where you've got particularly large numbers of like Americans and stuff, they have like, you know, graffiti or signs or whatever saying, you know, gringos go home and things like this. So yes, it's it's obviously happening there as well, which is, which is sad, sad to hear. Cause you know, I think that for, for the most part, this is a really good thing. People, you know, aside from it pushes rents up which you know that's just a natural thing that's going to happen when more people want to live where you know if, you, if you're a successful city if you're a successful town or whatever property prices are going to go up because more people want to live there like that is just the, the natural cycle that happens anywhere in the world so you know it's in a way it's like if you are upset about foreigners with money coming into to your your city well you don't want your city to be successful then that, that's kind of the way that i see it and you know i'm not just saying that obviously as a foreigner living in mexico I say the same, you know, coming from the UK and, you know, living in, I lived in London for seven years and, you know, you have people coming into London, you know, with huge amounts of money, like making, you know, that, that's why London boomed so much. I mean, obviously it's one of many reasons, but you had a lot of foreign money coming in there and it's like, yeah, it kind of sucks that the the rents are high, but what would you prefer that the city fails, that the city isn't financially successful, you know, that the city isn't, isn't safe. I mean, As places get more safe, as places get more, uh, you know, get better infrastructure, as places get more successful and have more job opportunities, more people want to live there and the property prices go up. This is just a natural, you can't have one without the other. So, you know, I really feel like there's a, it's a very kind of like small, it's kind of small, small minded or very just like tunnel vision to just say, okay, gringos go home. It's like, well, do you want to be successful? Because if you're successful, gringos going to want to come live there.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's a push pull. It's a pain point because... That the government has to catch up with that too, because if price, rent, uh, property, everything, and just cost of living in general keeps going up, then the wages should be going up, uh, as well. It, but just, you know, regulation, government stuff isn't there. I mean, there's tons, <laughs> Columbia is very corrupt. There's tons of corruption. Um. And and greed as well, that that's everywhere in the world. So, um, yeah, it's just one catching up with the other. It, yeah. It come having foreigners come in, investment, pumping more money into the system. Good. But a lot of, a lot of times that money just stays either it goes to corrupt projects of the government or whatever, or, you know, just kickbacks. And, and, uh, yeah. So the Colombians are very skeptical. They have no faith, like pretty much in, in government whatsoever anyway. And now they see another problem. And so it's just compounding. But no, you're, you're right you're about, um, uh, helping the city and, you know, not, not letting the country die. Uh, but I think that their fear is that it's going to turn into something like Costa Rica, where Costa Rica used to be a, a place for the longest time where people went to, or I guess, no, that's from a Gringo perspective. Never mind.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, 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 exactly. Well, you know,
1: we'll see what happens. But personally, I just think that, like with everything that's happened, we're kind of going through another, another phase, I think, in the world of just people like moving a lot. I think that COVID was a big eye-opener for a lot of people that the the country that they used to live in is not the country they thought it was. And that was definitely the case for me, you know, being in in the UK and, and going through like months and months of lockdowns where you couldn't go anywhere. And I just kind of thought this country's finished. I mean, the only thing that was, um, the only reason that the UK was kind of still, continuing to have some status in the world was because you know the people there are very hard working generally it's got like you know a lot of kind of for instance like me living in london obviously this is kind of a a london centric view but there you've got like a lot of kind of headquarters for into for kind of multinational businesses and stuff you know a lot of the work that gets done gets done there yes fair enough it's in the kind of tertiary sector whatever you know it's not necessarily it's not like you know manufacturing and stuff or there is but not so much but it's a very forward-thinking place. People work hard. People are very educated, et cetera. But if the government decides to turn off the economic tap, that's going to go away immediately. And, you know, the other thing that's that's great about Western countries that they all basically threw out is that there's there's something called the rule of law. You know, there's something called the rule of law, there's something called, you know, fundamental free, freedoms, inalienable rights. And all of these things, they just went, no, we're just gonna dispose of them. So it's like, okay, well, that was your competitive edge over you know, the third world over, you know, developing countries, which are far cheaper to live. They're far more beautiful. You know, they, in general, they've got like better weather and they're actually, you know, now with people being able to work on the internet, they've got good infrastructure for doing that. If, as soon as you throw away your, your, um, your competitive edge, like you're, you're way down there on the list of of places to live. And now I think that, um, it's kind of like, They've been exposed, a lot of these countries have just, 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 they've been exposed as just being like expensive countries that actually do not nurture, generally speaking, good life for people. And they're willing to throw away the, the things that made them successful. So why, why stick around? Why won't people move?
0: It's, I also, I yeah, see that happening, you know, moving to other countries, but it's also a, a big migration from uh, urban to rural areas as well, Yeah. where there's a little bit less reach because you feel it more when you're in a city. Yeah, there's more um you know the the rules and stuff like people yelling at you pointing at you you have to comply with certain things and it, it's just more easy to control when you're in a densely populated area you get out to the countryside and it's way more real at least in the united states and also here in colombia you get out to the countryside and they're not they were like mask mandates and stuff like that i mean they had the mandates here but like i'd go to the country store you know walk down the road and dirt road and then like you know, some people would wear a mask or not, but no one would yell at you. No one was enforcing anything like that. Whereas in the city, like there's security guards everywhere. There's police. like there's more of a state presence. So there's more of a state presence in the city than there are in the rural areas. But um and even what what I saw during COVID as well uh after the first year is that I had uh, I was living in a different area, still out in the countryside of Colombia. But in front of me, there used to just be all aguacate, avocado trees. in in these just rolling hills and things then one day in september bulldozers came burnt everything plowed down everything they put they constructed 15 lots going for a hundred thousand dollars each and people are just flocking to the countryside to get out of the cities that was during the middle of the whole pandemic thing um i don't know whether it was for economic reasons or just because they were fed up with regulations restrictions i have no idea
1: yeah. Well, I think a lot of it is also just because people were able to, to you know, work remotely for the first time. I'm not sure what the situation was in, in Colombia and stuff, but certainly in, in, uh, in the Western countries, like where you can get pretty good internet, basically every, everywhere in the country. I mean, why, why would you want to live in, you know, central London and pay, you know, whatever it is like two grand a month for your, for your rent for a, you know, one bedroom apartment when you could just live outside of the city and pay you know like you could go and live in a much smaller place and you can you know pay like 500 or or something like it 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 makes it makes sense to me that, that that would happen naturally anyway but then i just think well why limit it why limit it to leaving the the city for a a more rural place in the same country i mean of course for a lot of people they have family they have reasons to stay there and i can understand why you want to do that but other people they they just think well why do i want to stay in this country or oh, why don't i why don't i make an even bigger jump go somewhere abroad and then i can live i can either still live in the city but pay what i would have paid you know in a rural area at home or i can go and live in a rural area abroad and get amazing benefits i can you know live for for, for dirt cheap and then i can work less hours and i actually think that not only is the whole covid thing pushing this in this direction I think the other thing is because we've kind of reached our absolute maximum capacity for how much people can work now. You know, people, people, they can't really work anymore. Like everyone's working like crazy. You know, everyone I know is basically working crazy hours. You know, everyone I know is kind of like not earning quite enough as they like or, you know, they've got some kind of debt or whatever. I think we've kind of reached this ceiling now and people are like, well, where do we go from here? One of the one of the options is to just say, well, I need to reduce my my expenses. What's the biggest expense that we have in our lives? It's our rent or our mortgage or whatever, or buying a house. So if you can get rid of that expense, you can finally kind of get afloat again. Otherwise, it seems that a lot of people they're just stuck drowning.
0: That's what's going yeah, on an individual level and those who can do it, um, that's the makes perfect sense and that's that's smart. I I think not everyone can do that. And that's where I see that going back to the very beginning of this conversation about that's where central bank digital currencies government, big government comes in and um we're at the talk of universal basic income you know uh so many people working so much not being able to afford things and getting uh, into all this trouble financially that someone's going to sleep in and say okay we'll give you an allowance Here's this you can live off this money um, and this is programmable, but you can only buy this stuff, this stuff. And it's one of the, U, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals is to end poverty. And one way to end poverty is to flatten everything, <laughs> except for the people who are still really rich, which are going to be super rich. They're not in poverty. Everyone else getting their UBI allowance. Yeah. Then, hey, we eliminated poverty. There you go. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, one, more, one more thing before um, before we kind of sign things off. I know you were on the, on Russell Brands. That was, was it the beginning of this year or something you were on, on Russell Brand. Just, just interested to know how that came about and what that experience was like.
0: Oh, it was awesome. Yeah. It was on, um, it was in January and it was just ahead of the world economic forums, uh, annual meetings. And I actually don't remember if I had written anything, uh, previously, which got their attention or uh, like immediately in that month, like leading up to the, the, the event, but Russell Brand was having, um, a show. Uh, a special on Davos and uh, his producer reached out to me on, on a Friday and the show was for a show on Monday and said, Hey, you want to come on and you know talk about uh, the World Economic Forum? What, what can you bring? You know, what information can you bring? So I talked about the you'll own nothing and be happy um, sch- stick <laughs> and how that ties into a circular economy and, um, uh, just in, in a series of, you know, having a whole class of renters and everything like that. And so the producer got back and he said, Oh, these are great bullet points. Okay. Come on at this time and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll have you. So yeah, it was just Twitter reached out to me. A producer reached out to me on Twitter. And then once I was on, <laughs> it was great. You know, I had a lot of, uh, I was wondering if I was going to be nervous or not, but not really because I had a lot of great experience. Um, you've interviewed Rick Munn, uh, from,
1: uh, yes,
0: I loved, I used to be, uh, he's, I, was semi-regular on, on his uh, show before um, hours changed. Oh, Um, cool. So I, I got, I got so much practice and experience talking with him live, you know? And so I, I, it felt good. So once I got on with, with Russell Brand and he was, Brand was, was very nice. And uh, he lets, you know, let you talk and then he'll come in and, you know, give his point of view. And then at the end of the thing, they, they, he looked to his uh, assistant there and his co-host and, like, hey, what's, what's the name of this, this publication? Uh, the sociable. It's like, oh, and then the system's like, yeah, I love what, reading the sociable. And then brand is like, yeah, we love you. Come back on. So it was a overall great experience. Um, I had a blast. Um, I don't know. I mean, as far as like traffic wise or anything like that, I don't know. Didn't do you know, much, you know, but it, it was an amazing experience.
1: That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love what Russell Brand's doing. Like I, I've always thought that Russell Brand's a real one. And I'm mm. glad that on this topic as well, that he kind of came out on the right side of it. You know, I mean, it, it in the beginning, I know that there was kind of a few question marks, but I think now like we can, we can all see that he's squarely like on the side of freedom when it comes to this stuff.
0: It's been fun because I've, I've been watching him for a, a year or so on um, his podcast, listening and seeing his uh, rumble and YouTube videos. And it's sl- it was kind of seeing an evolution, like slowly, like, oh, he's starting to talk about this. I write about this. Oh, he's getting into this. Oh, okay. This is interesting. Now he's appealing to this huge audience that, and then I always saw him being like a couple of steps behind yeah, on the news and what's going yeah, on. And I'm like, yeah, kind of, yeah, I'm like yeah. Oh, he's almost got it. He's almost got it. He's putting the dots together. He's almost got yeah. it. And now it's just like, Oh man, he's right on top of everything. And and his audience just is totally. growing and growing. So yeah.
1: Yeah. I still, I really want to talk to him at some point. One day I'll actually ask him to come on here if I can get, if I can get him on, but I'd love to talk to him about because he he still seems to me like he's not, um, I know that he's into like all the, he's spiritually there when it comes to kind of ideas of freedom and libertarianism and stuff, but I'm not sure that he's politically there. Like I still, I still get the impression that he's kind of, you know, subscribes to some like social socialist ideas, which, you know, and I don't know whether that's the case. So, you know, I don't want to say that for absolute certainty, but I, I'm kind of still waiting for him to have his moment of just being like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, not just spiritually into you know some of these ideas of like self-expression and freedom and stuff but actually i am politically aligned with that like i don't believe in state redistribution of wealth and this that and the other like i'm kind of waiting for him to get there but i'm not sure that he i'm not sure that he will because i think that he tends to like just not go too much into the pop politics stuff but um i'd love to talk to him about that because like i think that he you know there's there's a lot of people out there who, you know, they're, they're totally like politically libertarian, but they still on that, like spiritual stuff. You know, I'm in that, I'm in that camp and I know a few of the few others are and, uh, but I'm not sure that he's there yet. I still think that he's, he's not quite gone full libertarian.
0: Yeah. I mean, when it comes to politics, uh, yeah, he, I think is not picking side what like, I don't know. I don't know, This person said this, this person said, this, I don't know. Um, yeah. also there's things where even, um, wh- when, uh, during the the world economic forum annual meeting in this last january and uh, idris elba and some other celebrities and things were talking and brand was kind of it seemed like he was kind of stuck between these. He was like well i like these people they're celebrities they're actors like i know that kind of group but they're talking about this i don't know like kind of wishy-washy on that um not taking a yeah. side whatsoever but i mean i get where it comes I, I i'm the same way i'm very apolitical like i don't even when i cover congressional hearings i don't say who's a republican who's a Democrat. I, I just listen to what someone's saying and I just like, this is what's going on. Um, yeah. So I, I understand like staying away from the politics stuff. Cause once you stranger there, you get labeled this one, one way or this way. And then that's your audience. Yeah. You isolate half or 51% of the other. It's like, I don't want to do that. I, I see something much higher, much grander than just the two, the squabbling there. So I, I try to, I see where he's going.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny cuz I I have just been listening um yesterday actually to the um the Robert Kennedy the Robert Kennedy Jr um podcast with with Joe Rogan. Have you heard that one
0: yet? Um I've snippets but Kennedy is one that man like it, I was listening to reading his stuff and paying attention like a couple of years ago and his vaccine stuff but to me like I didn't cover any of it because it seemed like too crazy that like this is wait like if I do anything this is all anti vax anti vax anti vax like but I was paying attention, but now he's getting all this, co- like, well, he's not getting really a whole lot of mainstream coverage, but this stuff with, you know, Joe Rogan, he's insane. The stuff, where, you know, it's been consistent. And um, mm-hmm. he's, mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think it's, it's great what this information is coming out. Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm going to be, I'm really interested to see where this goes because, like, if you've got, if he becomes a serious contender for, for the next American president, I mean, I don't know, people are gonna have to start really like questioning. Are you gonna vote for a are you gonna vote for a Democrat who's been like extremely consistent on the COVID stuff and who has kind of like been on the right side of a lot of this stuff? Or are you gonna go for someone like Trump, who kind of, in my opinion, has been pretty poor on this stuff and you know, has has just been very, very on the fence and hasn't actually taken a stand. But a lot of people, I, I think in the in the freedom movement, especially, like, they are super pro Trump. Like you know, Trump can do no wrong in their eyes, and it'd be interesting to see how how that whole thing plays out.
0: Yeah, to me personally, it'd be extremely interesting to see Kennedy versus Trump. That, that that'd be really interesting. But for me, I don't yeah. see see what ha- happening to him is just how the hell are the Democrats ever going to let him? Like, get, I just feel like they're going to do what he, they did to Bernie Sanders or whatever. And yeah, they will. Yeah, they will. and so like yeah, yeah, it's yeah. So I like, yeah, I don't see that going much, but it seems like it just, what I saw what yesterday or today, there, I don't even know if it was a poll, if you can trust polls or whatever, but he's more favorable than, than Biden. So like, and he's like rising up in, in that. right. Totally. Yeah.
1: I mean, he would be perfect. He would be the perfect candidate for the tournament. I, I think that if, I think that if he ran, he would almost certainly win because you're going to get the people who will never vote red. They're going to vote for whoever the Democrat candidate, candidate is. But the only person who can pull over the Trump voters is Kennedy. Every other candidate they could possibly run is not going to pull over any of Trump's voters. So Trump's going to, you know, if Trump gets the uh, Republican nomination, which I'm not sure that he actually will, like, I'm not sure that will actually happen. But if it happens, then I think that Kennedy is the only person they can run to win. But then again, they had this, they were in the same position when Trump ran the first time because they ran Hillary over Bernie and Hillary lost to Trump because they ran the weaker candidate because they didn't want to run the, you know, actual democrat candidate you know i mean for whatever you think about bernie he at least is a kind of like real democrat with values that i think for most you know kind of blue voters in america like they would subscribe to a lot of his ideas but they ran the weaker candidate because you know it's a it's a big club and he wasn't in it and they and they lost and i think they'll do the same and they'll they'll probably do the same this time because if we know anything about politics is that they make the same mistakes over and over and never (laughs) learn.
0: exactly yeah
1: yeah Cool, man. This has been really awesome. Been a real pleasure talking to you today. Uh, I'm just going to uh, give a quick message to my audience that if you have skipped the intro, please consider donating to the show. There's links in the description there that you can support. So if you've got value from this episode, please consider doing that. Um, Tim, uh, yeah, it's been awesome. So you just want to let people know, first of all, where they can find you, where they can keep up with everything you're doing, and also just a parting message you have my for my listening audience as well.
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, So you can find me social media um, at Tim Hinchliff, my name on Twitter, Gab and Getter and the publication, the website is sociable.co and apart from that, uh, as a message I'd say um, stay free Uh, uh, be true to your be true to yourself and uh, just try to spread love and happiness
1: Amazing, thanks Tim Thank you